On today's episode, we welcome Francis Fishman. This is part two of our conversation with Francis, who is the CEO of The Playbase and a children's behavioral analyst. Our first conversation was just so good that we had to have her back because we barely scraped the surface of all the great pearls of wisdom that she has to offer. The whole purpose of an organization is that we come together and we learn from each other. Like I always tell people, I'm not the God of behavior. I don't know the answer to everything, but whatever I don't know the answer to, I will look for it. I will find it. I will find the person who knows the answer mm-hmm. if there's an answer to be found. And that the first people I go to are the people who I hired. Right. They're the first people I go to because they all think differently than me. They understand. They share the same values. They share the same passion, but they come from a different background. They come from different experience, yeah. different brains, different way of processing information. And it has helped me tremendously to find people who are different than me. On this episode, we really dig into key topics like neurodivergence and the benefits of having different thought patterns and perspectives in building teams, how thinking and seeing the world differently can support creative problem solving. We also dig into Frances's journey of entrepreneurship and how she navigated building a business in a new country and in an unknown landscape post-pandemic. So really navigating a lot of uncertainty. And of course, like the last episode, we dig into control because that seems to be central to a lot of this. Again, applicable to the business world when it comes to building teams, problem solving, and navigating uncertainty, which all of us do at various points of our business journeys and our careers. Hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. We are very excited to be back in the studio live for part two with our friend Francis Fishman. Hi, Francis. I am so excited to be here. It's so nice to be back. It's so great to see you. We had such a fun conversation a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. We talked about a whole slew of things, all things behavior, all things about what you do for work. And we just had to have you back. Oh, I'm here with pleasure. I'm excited. Well, we're very happy to have you. Part of the reason I wanted to have Frances back, not only is she dynamic, not only is she obviously incredibly intelligent, you know, she has a really interesting field of work and a really interesting lens through which she's able to see the way people act and behave. And so we kind of talked a lot about that in our previous conversation. And for this conversation, I was hoping we could focus on on two things. We can pick which one you want to do first. <laughs> but number one is neurodivergence. Because this concept of neurodivergence is clearly something that is being talked about a lot more than it ever was, certainly when I was younger, yeah. or certainly growing up in the workplace. Same, yeah. And there's a lot of research about the benefits of neurodivergence. Yeah. Right? In the workplace. Yes. And different perspectives. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Then number two would be your own journey. Because in addition to being a therapist, right, you also just immigrated yeah. to a whole new country. Yeah. Welcome to America. Thank you. <laughs> and you've taken what was a thriving business up in Toronto and you're bringing it now to South Florida. And so I'm really curious about that journey too and how that's going for you as an entrepreneur. Sure. 
They're very different topics. So very. I'm happy to go either way. Maybe let's go in order of the way you brought it up. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. So we're ready to dig in. We have our delicious coffee. <laughs> we're ready to go. I just finished telling Francis how much I hate coffee. So <laughs> I have to warn everybody in the audience, every time I take a sip, she's probably going to giggle. Sorry. Not least of which because I have like a disgusted <laughs> look on my face. But when you have kids at home who are sick and not sleeping. You need coffee. You need some caffeine. <laughs> All right. So neurodivergence. Let's start with the basics. What is it? It's a, a brain that functions differently, but all of our brains function differently. It just gives us an idea of a brain makeup and the way in which somebody processes information, experiences the world, the lens with which they see the world. So depending on what label or diagnosis they have, it'll give you information about how, like, let's say ADHD or autism spectrum, like depend and where they would fall within that would also be different. But neurodiversity or neurodivergence is basically the, the neurological makeup of that brain is different, quote unquote, like it is different than the neurotypical brain. So neurotypical would be somebody who is developing more within the scope of what we have seen historically as I don't like to use the word normal because I always say, what is normal? Right. But what is average? Mm -hmm. What most people have experienced in terms of development. And then neurodiversity would be slightly different. So sometimes we see children whose language develops differently. And then that gives us indication as to how they're processing information, how they experience the world. Whether that be that that be something that they grow into naturally, some a skill that they acquire at a later stage or something that needs to be taught to them in a different way because of the way that they learn, the way that they process information, the way that they experience the world. What does that actually look like? In terms of behavior? Mm -hmm. So a more, I would say, neurotypical child might engage with toys in a way that looks familiar to you. A neurodiverse child might engage with them in a way that looks different to you, where um, some of the things that I have seen, which doesn't disclose that, doesn't mean that this is what, like, A does not equal B, or A plus B does not equal C in this situation. It doesn't mean every child who engages in, in X, Y, or Z behavior has this label. That's yeah. not what it means. Yeah. So I don't, I really want to say this is not, you know, um, something to listen to as a way to identify whether somebody you know is neurodivergent, but something to pay attention to. So one of the things that it looks like might be the way in which they engage with, let's say, toys at a young age. So um, one child might take a car and go vroom, vroom, vroom. And another child might take the car, lay down, and watch how the wheels turn as it moves. And it's more so their curiosity around the functioning of the car and the details. Everything is very detail-oriented and very understanding how it works, whereas another child might take the car and push it and watch it go. Mm -hmm. So it's the same toy, but a more typical way of using that toy would be to pretend it is a car, whereas a different way of using the toy is to understand how the toy functions. Got it. A door opens and closes. A more typical way to use the door would be to walk through it. Another way of using the door is watching how it opens and making the sound of it closing. And now let's open it again, and I hear that sound again. And it's understanding patterns. And, under and there's also getting stuck in patterns. Some of the things that we find in neurodiversity is 
this like finding loops and getting stuck in loops and the loops are your thought patterns. And so you might see repetitive behaviors, very rigid, repetitive behaviors, um, or even rigid, repetitive thoughts or thought processes or ideas around what they want to engage with other people with. So whether they want to have a conversation only about cars or whether they want to have a conversation about cars and about your day and about how sunny it is and and having more flexibility around their thoughts. Got so it. neurodiversity can look very different in each individual. Sometimes we see behavior that looks, I would say, atypical or different. So sometimes that behavior might be a big behavior because the way they process sensory input. So sensory input is every single thing that we see, hear, touch, smell, all of that. So sometimes we see a child who doesn't want to eat certain foods because of the way it smells or it tastes and they have a lot of rigidity around food. Sometimes that's also accompanied with when it's too loud, it's hard for them to exist and function in that environment. Sometimes like, like having too many things that like if I um, would think of like a neurodiverse child looking at the wall behind me of like all the beautiful podcasts that are on the wall, all the pictures, they would be looking in detail probably at every single one of them that you might be speaking to them and that information is not being processed because they're paying attention to all the things visually around them and processing that information. So it's about the way in which they process information. So sometimes they seem absent. They're just not with you. They're somewhere else in their thoughts. So those are things that you might see, like yeah. appearing absent. Yeah. So... There's been a lot of talk mm -hmm. and chatter and, frankly, literature mm -hmm. that I've seen come out about the benefits of a neurodiverse workplace. Yeah. And it sounds like what you just said is a lot about perspective. Yes. Right? Whereas one person sees a car to go vroom, another person sees the functionality of it. Yes. Right? So can you talk a little bit about how neurodiverse perspectives can enhance a group? So if you've never heard of Temple Grandin, I recommend that you look her up. She is an autistic adult who, thanks to her autism, was able to identify challenges that they were having with cattle and was able to create a system that allowed for more efficiency within what I don't know exactly what they were doing with the cattle, but she was able to create something that made it functional and efficient because of her neurodiverse brain. And she spoke about how there are so many different types of brains in the world and we need all of them in order for the world to work the way that it does. If you think about people like Einstein or Oppenheimer or, I mean, these are just brain, the names I'm thinking of because of movies and stuff. Barbie? I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know the Barbies neurodiverse. No, <laughs> no, I didn't mean it that way. Just if we're going down the, you know, yes, Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, I remember learning about incredible musicians and mm -hmm. composers and their brains work differently than mine. Yeah. And yeah. than yours. And it's that genius. It comes from being able to see and experience things in a different way and being able to break things down in a different way. So... You know, I know that the Israeli Defense Force, for instance, has a unit of autistic individuals. 
who work for them in order to identify minutia of detail that a neurotypical brain would probably never be able to identify because of the way that they see things in such detail and pattern. Wow. And so when you are able to identify, oh, something is out of place, that gives them information and intel about something that I would not have been able to identify or maybe not for a very long time. might have taken me hours or days or I may not have never gotten there to be able to identify that. So having a different way of looking at something allows you for novelty in problem solving, mm. allows you for, allows you to learn a different approach because we all, like one of the conversations I had with my daughter today is that for the rest of your life, you're going to make mistakes. And the idea is that you learn from your mistakes. And so I'm going to learn from mistakes in the way that I learn. But if I have somebody else who has a different lens say, hey, why don't you try it this way? Oh, that's, yeah, that makes sense. That's a great idea. I would have never thought of that. Having different ways of viewing the same problem, having somebody who has a more like detail-oriented approach, a more systematic approach to something would benefit somebody whose brain does not necessarily see things in that way typically. So for me, you know, with my rose-colored glasses and my, you know, everything is this way, and then somebody else coming in and being like, but I actually look at the numbers, and but I actually look at it this way, and here's a route to what you actually want to achieve. Having a different brain, which is why I have my bookkeepers, my accountants, why I have managers who understand things better than I do in certain areas, that allows me to work within my scope of practice and where I thrive and have other people on my team who do things I could never do. I just can't. My brain doesn't work that way. I love the way that you've put this because it really speaks to effective and efficient team building. Yeah. Right? And in building teams, in hiring, it's ultimately about thinking about how you could round out a yeah. team and, and like skill where, sets. Exactly. So yeah. for instance, like with me, when I'm placing a therapist with a client, my ideal situation is that I have a therapist with a personality and skill set that matches a client's needs. And that will be different. Like I will never forget I had a client call me um, in Toronto and their their son had a really unique interest in puppetry, like mm. very passionate about puppetry. And I was like, okay, I don't know anybody who does that. <laughs> like I know artists, I know musicians, I know all these different people who um, have, you know, gifts and talents and skills. I didn't know anyone who had that. And within, I would say, four days of getting that phone call, I was interviewing a therapist. And as he was going through, you know, I don't ask just about what you can do. I ask about what you love to do. And and then he said, and I also really love puppetry. And I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> what did you just say? I don't know anyone else on the planet, right. but I just got a client to, uh, and it turned out that this therapist ended up being one of the greatest gifts to our company anyways. Like he was an incredible asset to the organization because of his skills, but he happened to have a gift that matched this client's passion, which is an unusual pairing. But what you need to find is 
where those skills benefit your organization. What do you need within your organization and what kind of personality or way of thinking helps you with that? And sometimes you need somebody who thinks differently than you do. Because you might have somebody who will sit there and nod their head and be like, yes, absolutely, Jacqueline, you're right about everything. Yes, yes. And then, but you really need somebody to be like, okay, I see your perspective. I understand it. But have you thought about this? I was just going to say, I actually think it's dangerous to surround yourself with yes people and dangerous to surround yourself with people who think exactly the same way. Yes. And that's why you need that. Yeah. You need somebody to say, okay, I get that but you need this, or and you need this, or have you thought of this, or let's try this, because otherwise your growth is stunted forever, because mm-hmm. you're, you're only able to grow as far as you yourself can go. And the whole purpose of an organization is that we come together and we learn from each other. Like I always tell people, I'm not the God of behavior. I don't know the answer to everything, but whatever I don't know the answer to, I will look for it. I will find it. I will find the person who knows the answer Mm -hmm. if there's an answer to be found. And that the first people I go to are the people who I hired. They're the first people I go to because they all think differently than me. They understand, they share the same values. They share the same passion, but they come from a different background. They come from different experience, yeah, different brains, different way of processing information. And it has helped me tremendously to find people who are different than me. Well, I, this is also a total resounding case for diversity yes. in the workplace too, right? Yes. And there's so much literature and there's so much that's been written about the benefits of having different backgrounds, different perspectives, different ways of thinking, And this seems like another offshoot of all of that because it only helps make the sum of the parts greater than the whole. Yes. And one of the things that came up um, in my mind um, as you were speaking is that equal to being able to benefit from having different types of people is understanding what each person needs because each person needs something different, the Mm. way in which you communicate, the way in which you delegate, how much you can delegate. You know, some people need one step at a time. Some people need it written down. Some people need an entire process of what you need them to do within the next week. Or some people need you to call them on the phone or send them a text message. In order. And, and so it's creating systems that work with the different types of people that you hire and work with. Yes, I say all the time, One, you have to consider your audience because if you don't consider your audience, your message is just not going to land. Right. Right. You're going to be talking to a wall. Yes. And then nothing's going to get done. Yeah. I think. And then you're going to get annoyed. I think we did. I think we did talk about this before. the The other thing is that you better get really clear on what you're going to say. Yes. Right. Because because people learn differently, and because people think differently, and because people receive information differently, right? You also need to be very precise on the words that you say. I always say, be very wary of a one-size-fits-all solution. It doesn't exist. 
I agree. I say that in my field too. There you go. <laughs> because context matters. Yes. Who you're talking to, the relationship you have with the person you're talking with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the power dynamic? Mm-hmm. Is someone needing or wanting something from the other person, right? What agreements exist between the two people? What are the risks involved with certain levels of conversation between those two people? Mm-hmm. So I love when I see things that say like, here's my 10-step plan to do this, no questions asked. And I'm like, come on. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as that, right? Here's 10 steps that you may be able to take, take into consideration, and see how they apply to you. I would rather get something that says, here are 10 questions you need to ask. Oh, that's great. I think questions are the basis of everything. All roads lead back to curiosity, in my mind. If all else fails, if you don't know what to do, ask a question. Beautiful. I love that. So this is actually a great segue because we've we've gone from talking about neurodiversity to almost building teams and surrounding yourself with people who can be additive to your skill set, your way of thinking, however you want to think about it. Talk to me a little bit about your journey of entrepreneurship and starting a business and building teams. Sure. Um, I started as a one-woman show. I gave my notice when I realized... This is what I needed to do. And the brilliant part of that was that in my last week of work, I found out I was pregnant. Mm. And I was pregnant and starting a business. Brilliant, brilliant. Good work, Francis. So that happened to me, by the way. Did I tell you this? Yes, you did tell me that I told you. I launched my business in July, found out I was pregnant in September. Yep. Yep. I feel you. I feel you because I remember I was you and I remember (laughs) going into work with a child who had a lot of physical behaviors and being very pregnant and I was training a therapist to take over because I was the one woman show and I was training a therapist to, to take over and I remember her looking at me being like, how on earth have you been doing this? And I remember also having my husband tell me, I'm not letting you go to any children who are aggressive and this and that. And my dad calling me concerned because I was pregnant. I was like, no, I know how to protect myself. And I'm not the target for any of these kids. Like none of them are hitting me. Um, So I started out on my own. And the way that I built my team was not through a business mind. It was through word of mouth. It was people who had observed or found me because they were educators um, looking for something different, seeing me work with a child in a classroom, being like, hey, what do you do? Actually, some of the first people that I hired were people that I knew directly or people that that I met through the work, through working in different environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would refer me to other people who wanted to, to learn this skill set. That's how I built my team I remember my daughter, my my eldest, like I was breastfeeding her on my computer and on the phone and like doing all the all the back end stuff while I was, you know, building my team, training them. My yeah. training was hands on when I could be there. I remember having my mom walk my daughter in a stroller while I went into a school while the child was in crisis to support a therapist. I was like, mom, you need to come with me because I can't bring her into school. And she'd like walk around the school, like the outside of the school while I did that. So that's how it started. And then it quickly grew into a beautiful growing business where I started to hire people through actual organizations like Indeed or LinkedIn, looking for team members. Um, And it grew into a prosperous business until COVID. Yeah. 
And then COVID shut down my entire business. We pivoted and we started creating. I had one of my team members suggest that we create these play kits because we're called the play base. So we created play kits since we didn't have access to a, all of our clients, I think, at that point. So we created yeah. um, developmentally appropriate play kits depending on someone's age. We would create the kits. They'd buy them. We'd ship them out to them oh, wow. or deliver them, hand deliver most of them. And then we started, we created a micro school. So we had multiple schools running in children's homes with groups of children. We hired educators. We oversaw them. And then we went back to work as usual, sort of. What does sort of mean? Sort of means in Toronto, people were paid to stay home. Mm. People were afraid to go to work. Yeah. Certain people had left the country. Certain people had left the city. Getting people to commute was hard because gas was now so expensive so it became really challenging to employ people because people either didn't want to work, didn't want to work and like travel from different children's home to home, like yeah. because that felt dangerous. It felt dangerous for some people to work in school settings, which we supported children in school. And certain schools stopped allowing therapists to come in because they were an extra body in the building, which meant right. extra germs right, that we right. didn't. And if they worked there, they weren't allowed to work elsewhere. Like there were lots of different you know, restrictions that we were working within, which kind of stunted the growth of the business temporarily. And in that time, me and my husband decided to uproot to Oka. And here we are now, but in the process, it scared, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. It scared the shit out of my entire team that I was uprooting. I closed, we closed on our house before we actually moved, before we got our visa we bought a house and I had my entire senior team leave and I had to let one of them go as mm. well. And I remember sitting in my backyard and being like, what the actual fill in the blank? <laughs> fill in the blank. My entire business is falling apart and I'm not going to be there to put the pieces back together. It scared the shit out of me. And I had a therapist that I was working with, a healer, who said to me, when you're building an empire, you can't build it on top of a shack. You need to let all the walls fall so that you can build. And I was like, okay, fall away, walls, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and we restructured the entire team. And I'm so... You know, I'm so thankful for every single person who has walked through the play base. And not that we're a brick and mortar right now, but has walked through the organization. Metaphorically. Because, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Because every one of them has left an impact and their energy flows through it. Whether they like it or not, they're a part of it. And I've learned from all of them and I hope they've all learned from me. And right now, the team that I have, like I literally look up to the sky and I say, thank you, God. Thank yeah. you, God, for who you've given me because yeah. everything happens in divine time in my through my lens of, of the way that my brain works and the way I view the world. And I have an incredible team that now is run by a manager who I love dearly and who I, I trust with all of myself to the point where I left her to manage the business, which I'm always in contact with her and I'm still in contact with my entire team so that I can come here and build. And it was a terrifying thing to do. And it continues to be, 
you know, a really challenging thing because I'm building a business here from scratch while also trying to make sure that everything there is running. And we had to change systems there because I used to be the system. Yeah. I'm not the system anymore. <laughs> now it's redirection, redirection, and figuring out how do we do this and how do we deal with different personalities and different ways of, you know, like now it's a different brain that's managing and a different energy that's managing. And if you ask me, she's the, probably the better person. <laughs> she definitely has. See, a, that's the sign of a, of a good leader, someone who hires someone better than themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like sometimes I, I like I look, like after speaking with her, I'm like, God, she's brilliant. <laughs> she is brilliant. Um, and so she's perfect for that position. Well, a few things. Yeah. I, stories have always been a really critical part to my life. When I, when I was younger, I couldn't fall asleep and my mom used to read me Greek myths. Oh, cool. Right? And so one of the lenses I see the world on through is everyone is in their own story. Yes. Everyone is the main character of their own story. Everyone's yeah. on a journey, yeah. right? And yeah, you're going to meet some fire-breathing dragons and you're going to have a fairy godmother and insert here every trope, yeah. right? They take different forms. Yeah. Um, but it will happen. Yeah. Right? And you have the external challenges of COVID out of my control. Mm-hmm. You have the external challenge of I'm moving and my whole team is in a different country. Yep. Right? And then you have the internal challenge, which is what you're talking about, which is the fear. Oh, Yeah. The fear was not just like, oh, I'm going to start my business. It's, oh, my God. Can I Can I actually do this? How do you deal with that? Two ways. The first way is my husband is always like, first of all, yes, you can. You already have. <laughs> like, <laughs> so get a cheerleader. Yes. Number one. Yes. And he is my biggest cheerleader. Um And number two is a lot of internal work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the internal work started for me a really long time ago, but building a business, immigrating, becoming a parent, continuing as a parent and working with my clients, I've learned a tremendous amount and I've learned more about myself, which is one of the things I learned about myself is that I like to see the light in everyone and in the light in every situation. And I'm scared of the dark. It's something I learned about myself. Like I have through working on myself, I've been working on accepting the yin and the yang where I look at the world. I like to say through rose colored glasses and people have told me my whole life, you see the light in everyone and you see the light in everything, which is a beautiful thing. But there is also the dark And there's also the challenges and a part of my challenge has been seeing the beauty in both, whereas I only saw the beauty in one. When you think of the beauty in what you're calling the dark or the challenge or the fire breathing dragon, whatever you want to call it, what can that beauty be? It's growth. It's lessons. It's everything is a mirror reflection. Mm -hmm. It's whether you'd like to see it that way or not. Everything Mm -hmm. is a mirror for you, an opportunity. And if you see it as an opportunity, if you see it as what is this trying to show me? 
What is it trying to teach me? And sometimes when the thing happens over and over again, I'm like, oh, what am I not learning? <laughs> like, I thought I learned this lesson already. And it's frustrating, but it's... Yeah, clearly haven't. Yeah. some I haven't learned something. And so it's yeah. seeing the beauty in that. And because I am somebody who craves growth and like, I love it. And so when people come to work with me, they need to be ready for that. They need to be ready to grow because if you're not, you're going to fall off. And, you know, relationships over the years have, have done that. They've dwindled off because I'm propelling and propelling. Like it's like my mission to reach some finish line that is invisible and that doesn't exist. But I'm, I want to learn. I want to get there. I want to, I want to experience it. I want to know more. I want to do better. I want to help more. I want, I want, I want. And that comes with facing a lot of unpleasantries, facing yeah. challenges, overcoming hurdles, you know, Carl Young, he said, what you resist persists. Yes. And I have a, um, a mentor who I look up to very much. And she says to me, why is this happening for you? Yeah. And that one phrase has completely changed my perspective. It's 100% and true. even with clients, right? Every, like I said, everybody goes through challenges. Mm. Everybody confronts things that are out of their control. Yeah. All you can do is look at it from the lens, like of which you're talking, of what can I learn from this and how can I use that? Yeah. And like when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to see it that way. Right. Because you're like, what what's going on? And you're experiencing the emotional response to it. And if you can get to the point where you've regulated your nervous system, you can be really present. You can ask yourself that question. But until you're in a calmer state, that question is irrelevant because you're experiencing the emotional experience. Like the other night I was just like, I'm so overwhelmed. Like I just felt so overwhelmed. Yeah. And my husband's like, yeah, this is like part of the growth. It's a good thing. And I was like, I, I get it. It doesn't feel very good. <laughs> and so I couldn't process it in that way. But then the very next day I went out and I did professional development at a school. I got incredible feedback. And on the drive home, I was like, this is like, this feeling is the feeling that feels good for me, but I needed the other feeling to get here. Not only did you need the other feeling to get there, you need to know the other feeling to experience the other feeling. It's so true. Right? Yeah. Because you true. have nothing to juxtapose it against. Yeah. One thing my mentor says also is that confusion is a very high state. And what she means by that is that when you allow yourself to be confused, when you allow yourself to not know the next step, all the puzzle pieces are arranging themselves. And I almost think of, you know, like in a fantasy movie, when you turn the magic key and all the big mechanisms start turning, that's what I almost imagine goes on in your head. And that little perspective shift also has made a huge difference for me, especially as an entrepreneur, right? Because yeah. how many times, and, and you've talked about it several times today, have you found yourself in a situation where you're confused? You don't know what your next step is yeah. or you don't know what you're going to do and you're just overcome by either the fear or the excitement or whatever it is. Yep. And sometimes you just got to let it work itself out. Yes. And I call that relinquishing control. Ah. I call it relinquishing I'm your sorry. perceived control. That's not in my vocabulary. <laughs> what, is, what does that mean? I'm I am of the mindset that we think we have a lot more control than we do. We do. The only thing we can actually control is what we think, say, and do. Yeah, and, and even that, sometimes we don't have control over. <laughs> well, you would know better than yeah. me on that one. Yeah. You would know better than me on that one, for 
sure. Yes. Now, you you brought up a few little things I want to dig into about yeah. the actual running of the business. Sure. Right? Because obviously, a mindset of an entrepreneur is critical. And then you have all the people you're dealing with. Yep. Right? Which requires communication, which requires contextual um, awareness, situational mm-hmm. awareness, all those things that we talked about a few moments ago. You brought up something very interesting, which was that when you moved from Toronto, your systems had to change because you were the system. Yeah. And one thing I find with a lot of the entrepreneurs I work with or a lot of the business owners or leaders I work with is delegation and stepping out of the system is very difficult for them. How did you make that transition? What's beautiful about... The situation um, and how it worked out for me is that the person I put into place, I had supervised for six years outside of my organization, knew me really well and knew my organization really well, knew probably certain gaps within the organization. Um, And so we had a transitional period where she, I don't want to say shadowed me because she wasn't shadowing me, but she was a part of meetings so that she could learn the systems and, and kind of figure out where is she coming in first? How can we bring her in first to make this a transition, a smooth transition, as opposed to like handing her the keys and saying sayonara. So it sounds like collaborative problem solving. Yes. And coming here as I built this, as I am building this, I again started as a one woman show. Um, and I quickly learned I need an administrator and I need somebody to help me with this and somebody to help me with that. And what she says to me, she's like, I need you to delegate better. And I'm like, I don't know how yet. <laughs> like I'm well, still. Well, good le- thing you know a coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's very true. It's an area. And I, and I was very honest with her. I'm not good at this yet. Yeah. And so we need to figure out together what that's going to look like. And so sometimes she'll be like, do you want me to do this? And then recently I said to her, you know what? I'm not going to do this because I want this to be your role. So I need to stop doing it. So even if I could do it, I'm not going to. Yeah. And she was like, okay, that's a good idea. I said, yeah, this is me delegating. See, I'm getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because I often hear, well, it's just easier. It's faster if I do it. And it might be faster and easier in that moment, but not in the the long run. And you end up wasting a lot of precious time. It's so true. And it's one of the things that I'm learning here more than ever because- the opportunity for growth in the United States is just, oh my God, a million times more than really? what I, yes, in terms of sheer population. The way businesses are run here, the way opportunities for business are run here, the way people view the fact that there's insurance that covers our services here and not in Canada, like there's a big only, distinction. yeah, there's only one way to get money granted for um, services and you have to have an autism diagnosis in Ontario. You apply for Ontario autism program and you will get money eventually and you'll get a certain amount. Whereas insurance here will be like, for the most part, they'll approve you yeah, and they'll support you throughout your journey. Very different. So there's a lot more opportunity to support here. Whereas in Ontario, if you don't have that and you're not going to wait for that, you have to have the means for it. Yeah. So here there's just a lot more opportunity to support in general. And so the growth is happening faster 
And then I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, like things are falling through my fingers and I need to figure out how to do this and I can't do it alone. Well, and it reminds me of what somebody said to you, which is that you have to let the shack fall so that you can build up those foundational elements, Yes, right? Because it is that foundation that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes. Right? As we wind down. Yeah. Because I feel like you and I could talk forever. <laughs> For sure. We've we established this. <laughs> I want to rapid fire two questions to you. Okay. And I did this last time, so I'm not going to repeat those questions. Okay. I don't even remember what they were. <laughs> totally fine. But I'm going to I'm gonna ask you two different questions. Okay. On this journey of entrepreneurship, what are the biggest lessons you've learned? It's about me. Mm. It's about me and my growth. It's about the way that I choose to work through challenges. It's about the way that I choose to look at challenges. It's about the way that I choose to communicate. In the end, my business is going to grow if I choose to take the steps to grow myself. It's about me. If I want to help people, I need to help myself. If I want to make a difference, I need to look internally at myself and figure out what I need. And to not do that and to focus outwards is to limit your capacity. What I love about that is it's almost ironic because earlier in the conversation we were saying we have no control. Yeah. But everything you just said is about you and being in control of you. Yes. And about learning about me and what are my limitations? Because if I don't look at that, I don't hire the right person. If I don't look at that, I limit my ability to help somebody else. And that's my field. My field is to make deep impact in someone else's life in the most positive way. And if I'm not looking at where am I limited, what can I give, how can I do that, and how can I bring people together who can fill in those gaps or who can complement those things, I can't make the impact. One of my favorite quotes, know thyself. Yeah. And that's what it ultimately all comes down to. Yeah. All right, next question. Yeah. How do you define success? Oh, that's a hard one. I define success in every little success. I don't see success as like, I mean, sometimes I do see it as like the top of this mountain that I feel like I have to climb for the rest of my life. But my work and my internal work is about really celebrating the little milestones because every single one of those is a success. So my daughter's learning to make this bracelet and it's this rainbow loom and she's struggling with it and she's getting frustrated but she did the first step that she couldn't do yesterday. And I looked at her and I said, look, you did it. She's like, it's not done. I said, it's not about it being done. You couldn't do that yesterday. You asked me to do it for you yesterday. And today you did that first row on your own. That, that is success. Eventually the whole bracelet will be done and that will be a great success. But that first step, acknowledging that first step, celebrating that and seeing that as a success is more important than the whole bracelet being done. You know, because you won't finish the bracelet if you don't acknowledge it. It's interesting. Earlier you said something that I wanted to chime in at the time talking about the journey versus the destination. Yes. And that's exactly what you just talked about. Yeah. And I think for me, talking about lessons learned, that's been one of my biggest lessons learned. I always grew up this overachiever. I had to get to the, you know, pull the gold brass ring, whatever it was, ascend the mountain. And at the end of the day, it's really about the steps that you take and the learning and the process. Yeah. And not about the journey. Yes. Because once you get to the top of the mountain, what's next? And that's where people suffer a lot. And that's where people suffer. Francis, this has been great. 
Unsurprisingly. Thank you for joining again. Thank you. Always a pleasure to see you. You too. And as always, thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Worked Up. And please reach out to us. You can find us at www.jacklinbeckconsulting.com. Email us, info at jacklinbeckconsulting.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting. See you next time.